Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Conflicted, a podcast that tells stories of the Islamic past and present to help you make sense of the world today. Hosted by me, Thomas Small, author and filmmaker, and my good friend Eamon Dean, an ex-Al-Qaeda jihadi turned MI6 spy, Conflicted is prepping its fifth season, which is coming to you very soon. And in the meantime, you can sign up to our Conflicted community. Subscribe to Conflicted wherever you get your podcasts. The year was 1331 BCE, approximately. Kepa Keperu Ra, the god's father I, was gone. His body, embalmed and wrapped, now required a burial. The king's successor, the new ruler, was obliged to provide that burial. And yet, there are questions about the enthusiasm with which this burial went ahead. Tradition demanded a funeral. But how lavish did that funeral really need to be? The tomb of King Ai was in a terrible state when archaeologists explored it. From its initial discovery in 1816, the tomb was strewn with rubble, shattered objects, human remains, and dust. Over the centuries, the tomb had filled with detritus. People had reused it for later burials. And over time, the Tomb of Ai became a sad, sorry affair. Sifting through the remains, excavators found bits and pieces of a burial. Shattered pieces of wood from statues. Perhaps statues like the ones found in Tutankhamun's tomb. There were also rosettes, small ornaments of gold. These originally covered a shroud or pal that may have lain over the sarcophagus. Again, A shroud like this, with similar rosettes, was found in the tomb of Tutankhamun, so it seems like Ai had some of the furnishings enjoyed by his predecessor. But that was it. Even amid the ruins and the scraps, the archaeological evidence was clear. When the elderly pharaoh went to his burial, his furnishings, his treasures, were slim. Despite careful exploration, there were no traces of coffins, shrines, elaborate furniture, or art. If they existed, they were long gone by the time archaeologists arrived. Why? Apparently, Ai's successor gave the king a basic no-frills burial. This may have been a political decision, or it may have been personal. We really can't be sure, but historians can be confident of one thing. King Ai's reputation was indelibly linked to the Amarna period. Since his first appearance in the reign of Akhenaten, Ai was connected with a time of radical ideas, political disruption, and questionable legitimacy. As pharaoh, Ai may have called himself the doer of Ma'at and the true ruler, but how many people believed that? And more importantly, How would the next generations deal with what came before? The funeral was a perfunctory affair. The mourners brought the body of Ai from his mortuary temple and placed it in the tomb. The king's mummy went into a sarcophagus. The stone casket is a lovely piece, made of granite, decorated with hieroglyphs, and a goddess at each corner. Four ladies, Isis, Nephthys, Neith, and Selket, guard the edges, spreading their arms and wings across the surface. 
Just like Tutankhamun and Akhenaten before, King Ai would lie within these ladies' embrace. The goddesses would protect the pharaoh, protect Horus, protect Osiris for eternity. Alas, it did not quite work. By 1816, when the tomb came to light, the sarcophagus was a wreck. Smashed to pieces by ancient vandals, the casket lay in bits. In time, scholars pieced it back together, restoring the box. And today, the sarcophagus lies in its proper place in the tomb. But its journey over 3,000 years was painful. The sarcophagus lid is a curious case. When archaeologists discovered it, the lid was lying on the floor, face down, buried in the rubble. At a glance, you might assume that vandals removed the lid, dropped it to the floor, when they attacked this tomb. But maybe not. Unlike the sarcophagus itself, the lid was intact, undamaged. In fact, it was in remarkably good condition. So whoever put this lid on the floor, they did it carefully. That doesn't sound like a robber or a vandal. If somebody hauled the lid off when sabotaging the burial, it should be more damaged, right? On that basis, one of the primary excavators, Otto Schaden, wondered, did the lid ever go on top of the sarcophagus? Or did the mourners place the mummy in the casket, cover it with a shroud, and leave it at that? Perhaps the lid was already on the floor before the funeral occurred, and they never actually put it in place. That is informed speculation, but it would fit with the poor, perfunctory burial. The lid may sound unimportant, but it gives us a clue to what was happening. Also, the lid itself has a nice detail. Hieroglyphs on the top record a prayer. Speaking to the goddess Nut, Lady of the Sky, King Ai asks for eternity, to live among the imperishable stars. I quoted from this prayer in the previous episode. But what I didn't mention was a symbol, and a nice little reference. Just below the prayer to Nut, hieroglyphs invoke the phrase, quote, Atum, the one who is in his sun disk. End quote. Atum was the ultimate creator, the lord of everything. But King Ai referenced the god as one who is in his sun disk. You could also render that as one who is in his Aten. The phrase is old, and it's connected to sun worship generally. So it's not necessarily a reference to the Aten of Akhenaten, but it gives a hint that as the sun set on the Amana period, people like I continued to evoke these images. Regrettably, this prayer for Nut and for Atum never saw the light of day. When King I went into his tomb, the mourners did not seal the sarcophagus. Instead, they left the lid on the floor face down. So, I's prayer was silenced. It took 3,000 years and some careful archaeology to bring that text light. Now, I's speech for Nut and Atum can speak once more. Hopefully, the great gods are still listening. When the king went to his rest, the funeral was lackluster. But that was not the end of I's troubles. In later generations, this burial suffered terribly. Years, maybe decades after his death, the tomb came under attack. Vandals entered the monument, 
and they destroyed much of the burial. These attackers worked quickly. They entered the chamber, damaged the art and objects, and then withdrew. They were purposeful and methodical, mostly. The team attacked four parts of the tomb. In the course of their work, these vandals attacked the names of I wherever they appeared on the walls. They also damaged his image wherever he or his queen were visible. They attacked certain symbols, like the royal car, but only in specific ways. And they attacked a couple images of the gods, again, in certain specific aspects. The damage, it seems, was violent but controlled, and it left a fascinating record. Over the decades, scholars have examined this destruction, and the tomb generally, and they have reconstructed some of what happened. In the 1990s and early 2000s, a professor named Richard Wilkinson carefully photographed and documented these erasures. He observed patterns in the damage that revealed some intriguing things. Wilkinson noted that there was more than one attacker. At least four, maybe five people entered the tomb. This was based on the chisel marks on the walls and the patterns of destruction. All of the vandals, it seems, were right-handed. They held their chisels in the left hand and struck hard with a mallet in their right. This left distinctive angles in the cuts. As the vandals entered the tomb, they divided up the task. Each person went to a different wall or section, and they focused their efforts on that spot. As a result, the walls of I's burial chamber have different styles of erasure at different points almost like signatures. Some of these details are quite fun. It seems that some of the agents did their job better than others. A few of the vandals were aggressive. Their chisel marks are deep and rough. They go outside the lines, suggesting they were doing the work quickly and not very carefully. Perhaps these ones were anxious, trying to get the job done and get out. Or perhaps they were more casual, They didn't care so much about the goal, as long as they got it done quickly. I'm speculating, but you get the idea. Some of the chisel marks are rough and kind of careless. By contrast, other vandals were thorough. They used their chisels carefully, chipping away at hieroglyphs and erasing whole sections with precision. One vandal was extremely careful. When erasing a cartouche, this person obliterated almost every hieroglyph, but they left one intact. The vandal did not damage the glyph Ra, the sun disk, so you get a sense that this person was doing their job carefully, but they had some reservations when it came to erasing divine symbols. I wonder if that person had any concerns about what they were doing. Anyway. The vandals fanned out, dividing up the burial chamber. Each one attacked a different area, erasing hieroglyphs and symbols. But the desecration went further than just texts. These agents also destroyed the images of I. On the walls, the painted figures of the king and queen suffered systematic attack. Generally, the vandals focused on the face, part of the chest, the forearms, and the abdomen. Symbolically, this was powerful. By removing the face, they took away I's ability to breathe through his mouth and nose. Attacking the chest, they removed his heart. 
Attacking his forearms, they removed his ability to act. And attacking the abdomen, they removed eyes, guts. Quite a brutal assault, all things considered. Generally speaking, the Vandals focused on the king and queen. The damage to the gods, or divine symbols, is far more limited. That makes sense. You don't really want to make the gods angry. And ultimately, the pharaoh was the main target. There was one big exception, though. A figure of Nut, the sky goddess, stands before Ai. She holds out her hands towards the king. And from her palms, a certain hieroglyph appears. It looks like water, or the letter N, but it represents a gesture. Nut is giving Nini, or welcome, to Ai. The goddess reaches out to welcome the king to the land of the deities. Unfortunately, Ai's welcome, his Nini, was cut short. Literally. The vandals attacked the figure of Nut. They brought their chisels up and added small cuts to the lady's wrists. These cuts separated, or severed, the Nini gesture. So instead of erasing Nut herself, which would be blasphemy, the agents targeted a certain spot. And doing this, they denied the king his welcome to the next world. The attack was surgical, but savage. The late pharaoh was going to suffer. Finally, the vandals attacked the sarcophagus and mummy. They smashed the casket to pieces and tore the mummy apart. At least, we think they did. The mummy of King Ai is lost, as far as archaeologists can tell. So unless the king was removed for a safe reburial, his body seems to be gone. It is possible that the vandals shattered his limbs and bones, just as they did to the sarcophagus and paintings. The result of this destruction was simple. Ai's burial vanished. His soul and his spirit would disappear from the afterlife. If anyone called, he would not hear, for his ears were removed. If he tried to speak, none would hear him, for he could no longer breathe. The king had suffered a terrible damnation. The big question is, who organised this destruction? Well, there are a couple of possibilities, but we're not entirely sure. One suspect is Ai's successor, the next pharaoh. That would be an easy candidate, but that would also be a problem. Every king was supposed to bury and preserve the tomb of his predecessor. Every king of Egypt was Horus, and his predecessor, his father, was Osiris. To destroy the burial of the king who came before you? That would be a terrible deed. So, I have to say, I'm hesitant to blame Ai's successor. It is possible that they were responsible, but I think it's unlikely in the context. Another possibility is that Ai's tomb suffered this damage decades, or even centuries after his death. The next generations, the 19th and 20th dynasties of pharaohs, were quite violent towards the Amarna rulers. It was those kings in later periods that may have destroyed burials from this time. Personally, I suspect the attack took place then, a hundred or even two hundred years after the king died. To be clear, that is my personal speculation. We really don't know who was responsible. 
Unfortunately, the Vandals did not leave a calling card or signature saying ex-Pharaoh was here. I wish they had, but these criminals were smarter than that. A shame. When King Ai died, his burial was poor, by royal standards. But years later, the tomb itself became a crime scene, as agents unknown broke in and desecrated the monument. The culprits are anonymous, as is the king who ordered the destruction. We have our suspicions, but we have no proof. I think the attack probably happened decades, even a century or two, after the burial. Either way, the Vandals were attacking something specific. A memory and a legacy of a particular era. The desecration of Ai's tomb may parallel another case of royal erasure. In the Valley of the Kings, a small tomb, KV-55, also suffered damage from Vandals. Again, that damage probably happened in the 19th or 20th dynasties, decades or centuries after the tomb was sealed. The parallel is clear. King Ai and the bodies in KV-55 were probably caught up in the same process. Apparently, generations after their deaths, these Amana pharaohs were rediscovered, and they suffered terrible obliteration. You may be wondering, why did Ai's tomb and KV-55 suffer desecration, but the burial of Tutankhamun did not? Surely the boy king was also a candidate for erasure. Well, yes, and in many instances, Tutankhamun's monuments did suffer the same fate. His names were removed, his cartouches were replaced, but the king's tomb escaped damage. Why? Well, the answer there is quite simple. The tomb of Tutankhamun disappeared not long after it was closed. When archaeologists excavated that tomb, the entrance was buried under mud, stones, and rubble. Tutankhamun's tomb was buried during a flood. Rainstorms hit the Valley of the Kings quite often, and the hard, rocky soil is not good for absorbing moisture, so the rain turns into flood pretty quickly. During one of these floods, the tomb of Tutankhamun was buried by mud and detritus. So by the time royal agents, whoever they were, started erasing tombs, the boy king had disappeared. He lay safe and sound beneath the mud. And so Tutankhamun escaped the damage that happened to KV-55 and I. Basically, Tutankhamun got lucky. Everyone else, not so much. I guess the gods were looking out for the younger pharaoh. So in 1331 BCE, maybe a bit later, King Ai went to his rest. It was a poor burial by pharaonic standards. Perhaps his successor was in a hurry, or they didn't care too much. Get the job done, no frills. Whatever the cause, Ai's burial had the essentials, but not much else. Generations later, the king suffered a great indignity. Decades, even centuries after his burial, royal agents broke into the tomb. These five or six individuals ransacked the tomb. Then, they applied their chisels to the walls. They erased cartouches, damaged the king's body and face, and even cut certain gods. In the process, these agents denied King Ai a healthy, long-lasting afterlife. 
It was a brutal attack that left scars on the monument. Today, Egyptologists can reconstruct the process, thanks to distinctive clues left by the vandals. It is another example of how careful study in the right places can reveal ancient lives and ancient crimes. Hi everyone, this is Scott. If you want to learn about the world's oldest civilizations, find out how they were rediscovered, follow the story of Mark Antony and Cleopatra's descendants over ten generations, or take a deep dive into the Iron Age or the Hellenistic Era, then check out the Ancient World Podcast. Available on all podcasting platforms, or go to ancientworldpodcast.com. That's the Ancient World Podcast.